0: Father, we just thank you so much for for what the Christmas season means, and Lord, it's, it, we know it's a season where you gave us the greatest gift of all when you gave us your son. And and Lord, not only did you send your son to die for our sins, you sent your son into our heart to live in us, and, and Lord, because he lives in us, Lord, we should be giving people too, and that's really the lesson of, of James today, Lord, that, that there should be some fruit in our lives, that that Lord, you loved us so much that you gave us your only begotten Son, Lord. And in return, we should, if we're filled with your Holy Spirit and we're filled with love, then we should love others as you've loved us. And that—that's the lesson, Lord. I know that's a lesson you're teaching us always. It's—it's it's the law of love, and and Lord, that it's love is the fruit of your Spirit. So, so Lord, we just thank you for this season and and help us to apply this to this season, Lord, this time of giving and. And help us to look around at those who we see in need and and be willing to help them. And Lord, just touch our hearts in a special way today and open our hearts to, to what you would have us to hear by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. J. Vernon McGee tells a story about a man he had in his church who had been coming to the church for several years and he professed to be a convert to Christianity, but he... He never really bore any fruit. And so that really bothered J. Vernon McGee. And so he asked the man one day, he says, you know, why have you never served anywhere in the church? I mean, you haven't done anything in the church. Why, why have you never done anything? And the man said, well, the, the dying thief uh, never did any church work. And, and he was accepted by Jesus Christ. And then, you know, J. Vernon McGee, you know, was aware of the, that the man had never been baptized. And so he asked the man, why have you, you know, you've been... You've confessed to have been saved for several years now. Why haven't you ever been baptized? He said, well, the dying thief was never baptized, and, and he went to heaven, and so I don't feel I need to be baptized. And then Jay Vernon McGee said to the, the, the man, he said, You know, I've never, I notice you, you, you don't give anything to the church. You don't give anything to missions. You don't help anybody when they're in need. Uh, why is that? And the man said, well, the dying thief never helped anybody in need, and he never gave any money to missions, and he was saved. And at that point, J. Vernon McGee was pretty frustrated, and so he said to the man, he says, well, the difference between you two seems to be that he was a dying thief, and you're a living thief. You know, there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians in the church who are really nothing more than living thieves. And, and here's the way they see things. They think, well, I've got my ticket punched to heaven uh, because, you know, my parents were Christians or I was born an American or I was baptized when I was a baby. Uh, I know all the historical facts about Jesus. I know about his ministry. I know about his death. I know about his burial. I know about his resurrection. And uh, uh, they even go to church sometimes. But in reality, they're nothing more than living thieves living only for themselves and robbing God of his due. Well, wait a minute, Pastor. Wait, wait, now you're stepping on toes here. Now, I'm, you know, James is going to step on toes here too. I mean, he steps on a lot of toes. That's what the whole book is. You, 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 you read the book of James, you need to put on some heavy boots because he's going to step on your toes. But, but you know, Pastor, aren't we saved by grace through faith? Haven't you taught us that for years? And, and not by our works the same way the thief on the cross was saved yes that, yes you're saved by works you're saved the same I mean you're saved by faith through grace and not by your works, the same as the thief on the cross but as James is going to say today over and over again and as he says over and over again in this book and that's the message of the book faith without works is dead You know, I have no doubt in my mind that if the thief on the cross had been afforded the opportunity, he didn't get the opportunity. But once he was saved, he was no longer a living thief. He became a living child of God. And I have no doubt that after that point, if he had been afforded the opportunity, he would have borne all sorts of fruit for the kingdom of God. Now, We've got to all ask ourselves, and that's that's really what James is asking us in this book. We've got to ask ourselves, are we living thieves, or are we truly born-again children of God? And James is going to help us determine that, and he's going to begin the process today with two rhetorical questions that he asks us, beginning in verse number 14. So if you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 2 and pick up with me down in verse number 14 and listen to what he says he says what does it profit my brother if someone says he has faith but does not have works now what's the answer he's looking for there what's it profit nothing and then this is the shocker here can faith save him what answer is he looking for not yes no. Can faith save him? The answer is, to, for James, the answer is no. Now that seems to contradict what Paul says about salvation. Because Paul says we're saved by grace through faith alone. It's faith alone that saves us. Now here's the other catch, or the other thing that, that really seems to contradict or be contradictory in the Bible we've been studying the book of Hebrews for almost a year before we came into James and the whole book is about what? it's about resting in Christ and ceasing your works for salvation it's about ceasing work in fact if you continue to work for your salvation then you're lost and so James asks this rhetorical question he says can faith save you? I mean, can your faith save you? Well, here's where the problem is. And if you got the New King James, it's a, really a problem in translation. There's, a, there's one word missing there, a very important word. And I don't know why the translators did this. It's a little Greek word, hey, and it means that. So what should this verse read? Can that faith save you? Or as the NASB says, if you have an NASB, you got the right translation on this verse only (laughs) Can, can, can that kind of faith save you that's the question that James is asking so so his theology about salvation is no different from Paul's but what he's saying is he's adamant that faith real faith produces works well Paul's adamant about that too I mean, go with me over to Galatians, and listen, go over with me to Galatians chapter 5 for a minute. Back up a few books, five or six books. Go back to Galatians, and look down in verse number 5. It says in verse number 5, I, I, go to chapter 5, look in verse number 5, I'm sorry, and listen to what he says. He says, for we through the Spirit equally eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by what? By faith. By faith alone. Salvation is by faith alone. But now look at what he says in verse number 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision availeth anything. In other words, you're not saved by law. There's no, you're, you're, you're never saved by law. You're saved by what? But faith. We're saved by faith. Now, watch what happens next in that verse, in verse number 6. Faith doing what? Working. Faith working. You get that? Working. Paul says faith works too. Same thing James said. Faith working through what? Through love. You see what he's saying there? Living faith works. How does it work? It works in love for one another and in love for God. What do we call that? We looked at it a couple of weeks ago. It's called the royal law. That's, that's the law that we're under. We're not under law, we're under grace. So, but we're under the royal law, the law of love. Now there's a big difference between the royal law and the Mosaic law and the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments and the Mosaic law were what we would call regulatory law. In other words, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do that. That's regulatory law. The the law of the, the royal law is natural law. It's a law of nature, just like gravity's a law of nature. Gravity doesn't say don't do this, don't do that, but I'll tell you this: if you jump off a building, you're gonna crash. Because it's a law that just exists by nature. You understand the difference? When we're born again by nature, We become new creations that work love. That's who we are. That's exactly who we are. And that's why Paul, just jump ahead to chapter 6 of Galatians and look at verse number 2. Listen to what he says. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? It's the royal law. It's the law that we're to love others as we love ourselves. We're to love the Lord as we love ourselves. That's the royal law. And that comes naturally if you're truly born again. That's part of who you are. Just like gravity is part of the the universe, uh, the the royal law is part of who you are if you're truly born again. And if you're not truly born again, then you know what you are? You're not going to live by the royal law. You might do all sorts of benevolent works. But if you're not truly born again, then you're nothing more than a living thief. And how do we recognize a living thief? You want to know how you recognize a living thief? And that's what James is trying to teach us. You recognize a living thief by their hypocrisy. They act very religious, but deep down inside they have no religion at all. And that's what he, that's what he looks, tells us next. Go with me back to James chapter 2. And listen to what he says there in verses 15 and 16. If a brother is, or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and be filled, brother. Be warm and be filled, sister. Pass on that blessing. But you don't do anything to help them. You, you, don't, you don't give them the things which they need for their body. What does it profit? I mean, it's the same thing as, you know, here's what we're guilty of. Somebody tells us about their needs and all the needs that they've got, and you know what we're guilty of doing? Brother, I'll pray for you. Sister, I'll pray for you. You know, if we're not willing to be used by God to help them when they're telling us about their need, then what good do our prayers profit? Nothing. That's what James is saying right there. And notice who 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 he applies this to to a brother or sister. In other words, our benevolence begins where in helping one another within the church. That's why Paul says in Galatians chapter 6 verse 10, 10, he says, "Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith." You know what, guys and girls, one of the greatest Blessings in life. If you're a born again believer, you know this. One of the greatest blessings in life is helping fellow believers, helping a brother and sister in Christ who's in need. That's a great blessing. I mean, that's why Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. I mean, you learn that. You know, I, 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 Christmas is a great time to give. I believe it's a great time to give. And I, I think we, you know, because of all the, the, the commercialism of, of Christ, Christmas, the way, it, the way it's, you know, transpired in our country, a lot of people want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Christmas is a good thing. Giving's a good thing. And I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I learn that it's much more blessed to give than it is to receive. It's a blessing to give. It's especially a blessing to give when you can help somebody in need. But with that said, let me give you a little bit of a disclaimer. We live in an entirely different society from the society Paul and James lived in. The society that they lived in, people took care of people. That's where you got your help. In the society we live in, the government takes care of the poor. I mean, I don't know, I'm not saying they do a good job of it, but they make it really hard for us to help other people. I mean, if they can't, if they can't eat, they give them food stamps. If they're if they working and got money in the bank, they still give them food stamps. So, so, I mean, it's, the government really has robbed the church of this great blessing. And you've got to be careful. It makes it really hard to give. You know what I find? When I see somebody who's not clothed and I see somebody who doesn't have food, you know what 99 out of 100 times what their problem is? They're, they, they've got some kind of addiction that's driving them down. And when you go to help them and you give them money, all you're doing is helping them with that addiction. And so it makes it really hard to to give to people. You know there are other people. There are other people who I know that that waste their money, they spend their money in all sorts of irrational ways and then they expect other people to when they're in trouble to take care of their needs. And so that's the society we live in and I, and 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 man, you know, I'm I have I look out for people that I can help. I want to help people. This church looks out for people we we can help. We want to help people. We're here to help people if we're helping them. You don't help a drunk by giving him money. You don't help a drug addict by giving him money. You don't help a person who who doesn't discipline themselves with good stewardship with their finances by always giving them money. So we're here to help anybody. If you know of anybody this Christmas season that has a need, we want to help them. But, you know, I wish things were different. I wish there were opportunities. And I pray for opportunities. And you should pray for opportunities where we can help those who are in need. Because that is such a blessing. But you want to be helping that person and and not hindering that person. Now, go with me to the next verse, verse number 17. He says in verse number 17, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith without works is dead. Now James is going to say that again in verse number 20. That he's going to say it in 26. He really is saying that throughout the book because that's the theme of his book. And what, he, what he's saying is if our faith is only lip faith, if we only exercise our faith in words only, then our faith is not real and we're nothing more than living thieves. Then look at verse number 18. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Let me me reword that, too, because that translation is not really good either. I mean, really in context, this is what it's saying. Someone will will say, you have faith, and another will say to you, I have works. And then James responds, show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, there are three sorts of religious people. Three sorts of religious people. There's, first of all, those who believe that only faith matters. It doesn't matter what I do as long as I believe in Jesus Christ. As long as I believe the facts about Jesus, I'm going to heaven. It doesn't matter what, my, what I do. So, so that person says, you know, I have faith. Then there are those who believe it's not faith that matters. It's works that matter. They believe religion is nothing more than the works you do. These people are deists. They believe that somehow God set us down here and that you're to do good while you're here on earth and, and you're going to be judged by how much good you do. The social gospel falls into that category. They're all about works and all about benevolence. And as long as you're doing benevolent works, you're a saint. If you're not doing benevolent works, then you're not a saint. And it's all about works to them. James responds to both of those people with the right response, which is the third category of religious people. And these are the true believers. And those people are the ones who say, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith uh, with my works. In other words, they believe that, and this is what you should believe, that real faith produces real works. And you can prove your faith by your works. That's why James says, I will show you my faith by my works. And you should be able to say the same thing. Now, now, he's not doing that to brag about his works. And you shouldn't do it to brag about your works. But people should be able to look at you and see your works and know that you're something more than a living thief, that you're a living child of God. And, and, and James is saying here also that works and faith cannot be separated. You can't have godly faith without works, and you can't have godly works without faith. See, they really can't be separated. This is what he says in verse number 19, respondents to the doubters. He says, you believe that there is one God you do well. Even the demons believe and they tremble. You know the living thief would argue this way the living thief would argue it doesn't matter what fruit I bear I believe the Bible I believe Jesus lived a good life I believe he died on a cross I believe he was raised from the dead I even believe he's the son of God James says you do even the demons believe that that doesn't get you saved you know There are a lot of people who think they're saved because they walk the aisle or they think they believe in Jesus Christ. And and the Bible does say, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But here's the problem. That word believe means to trust. It means much more than just believe in facts. It means to put your trust in someone. When the demons saw Jesus, they said, we know who you are, Jesus. You're Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of Israel. You're God. So they believed, but were they saved? No, they weren't saved. See, belief has to be where you take the facts and you apply those facts to your life and you put your trust in those facts. And then all of a sudden, your faith comes alive. You have living faith. I say to, say this to you all the time, and I, and I believe most of you are, are, are. I'm not trying to, and I'm not trying to scare you into thinking you're not saved. I believe most of you are saved, but you know that you're saved when you're saved, because you know that your faith has has transformed from just ascending to facts to a living faith, and to a living relationship with Jesus Christ. You know that He's alive, and He's alive in you. You know that. Now listen to what he says in verse number 20. He says, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? There he says it again, because living faith produces works. Then listen to what he says in verse number 21. He says, was not Abraham, now this is going to seem to contradict Paul right here. Watch this. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Whoa. Whoa. James, what Bible are you reading? Was not Abraham our father justified works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? You know, that definitely seems to contradict Paul. Because Paul uses Abraham as his main case that salvation is by faith. And actually God said before the altar, long before the altar, he said Abraham believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He was made righteous by his belief. And it seems here that maybe James is is getting off base a little bit. I mean, Paul says we're justified by faith alone and by the works of the flesh. He says in Galatians chapter 1, by the works of the, or Galatians chapter 2, rather, by the works of the flesh, no one will be justified. But here's the difference. They're talking about two kinds of works here. They're talking about, there's, there's two kinds of works. Paul's referred to the works of the law. James is referred to the works of the royal law. There's a big difference right there. Okay, and so, so they're, right, they're really on, they, they, they're, they're saying the same thing. James is not saying that Abraham was saved by his works. He was saying that Abraham's faith was proved by his works. You know, the really the difference between Paul and James is on the emphasis. Paul emphys, emphasized Faith, Faith that produced good works. James em- emphasizes good works, but good wor- works that are produced by real faith. So really they're saying the same thing. Their emphasis is just on a different thing. James is emphasizing works and Paul in his letters over and over again emphasizes faith. Look at verse number 22 and you'll see how you'll see how this comes together. Look at verse 22. He says, do you see that faith was working together with his works, Abraham's works, and by works of faith was made perfect. Now the word perfect is again maybe not the best translation there. It's it's the word complete. Do you see that faith was working together uh, with his works and by his works his faith was made perfect for all to see? His faith was made complete. Years ago, I went to Las Vegas to go to an indie style race. And the, in the few days before the race, they had the cars on display in, in, uh, at the convention center and in some of the casinos. They had these indie cars on display. And I mean, they were the beautiful cars. And, and they had a sign in front of each car and it would tell you how fast the car would go top end and how fast it would go zero to 60. And they advertised those cars to go... They were 600 horsepower uh, cars, uh, they would go 250 miles per hour at 5,500 RPMs and zero to 60 in three seconds. They were f- advertised to be fast. Now you could look at that car, you could look at that sign and you could say, man, I wonder if that car is really as fast as it's advertised. Well, when you, we went to the race a few days later, we found out real quickly that they are as fast as they're advertised. Those cars move really, really fast. You know, we've been advertised to have a pretty strong engine in us, if you think about it. What does Paul say in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27? He says, Christ in you, your hope of glory. If you're truly a born-again believer, you have God Almighty living in you. You can't get a stronger engine than that. Well, the question is, does that engine really work? Well, the only way you're going to see if that engine really works is by the fruit that you bear. If you've got the powerful engine of Christ living in you, then you should be manifesting these works of love. I mean, here was Abraham. He was advertised to be the father of faith, the greatest man of faith ever. Was he the greatest man of faith ever? Well, that's what he was advertised to be. How do we know he was the greatest man of faith ever? Because when the time came and God told him to take his son up on Mount Moriah and sacrifice his son to him, his only son, he took his son up there and he was willing to do it. He proved he was willing to do it when he plunged the knife And he was stopped by the angel of the Lord. So his faith was proved real. Then look at verses 23 and 24. It says, see what he does right here? In verses 23 and 24, And the scripture was was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. There you go, James. You got it right now. He's quoting the same verse that that Paul quotes in Romans 5, 3 to prove that that salvation is by faith alone. He says the same thing, but it was fulfilled. It was completed. Abraham was believed. The scriptures was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He was saved by faith. James James is saying, yeah, he was saved by faith. But here's the catch. Abraham was much more than saved. Listen to what it says about Abraham. And he was called a friend of God. Whoa, there's one thing being saved. It's another thing to be called a friend of God. Man. Over in 2 Chronicles, Jehoshaphat is praying to the Lord. And he's speaking of Israel as the descendants of Abraham and he says he calls them the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever. Abraham, your friend forever. What a great honor to be a friend of God. But Abraham, see you don't become a friend of God by believing in facts. That's not how you become a friend of God. He wasn't justified as a friend of God. He was justified as a child of God. He was justified as as saved. He was justified as righteous by his faith. But what made him a friend of God? He was justified as a friend of God by what he did for God. By the fact he was willing to offer Isaac up on Mount Moriah. Jesus says in John 15, 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friend. You know, when Abraham took Isaac up that mountain, Isaac was his life, his whole life. I I know, I'm sure when God said, I want you to sacrifice your son, Isaac, I'm sure Abraham said, take me, don't take him. I have no doubt he said that. Any father worth his salt would say that. But he said, no, I want you to take your son. Because really your whole life is that son. And I want your whole life to be me. Is it really me or is it your son? Are you willing to give that dream up? The one you waited for for 25 years, are you willing to give that dream up for me? Prove to me you're my friend. And the engine in him was working. It was Christ in him, his hope of glory. And he went up that mountain. And he was willing to make that sacrifice. And he proved. That he was a friend of God. He uses another example. Before he finishes up. In verse number 25. He says likewise was not Rahab. The harlot. Also justified by works. When she received the messengers. And sent them out another way. You remember when. You remember when Joshua. Sent the spies to Jericho. And somehow they ended up. At a prostitute's house now I I don't want to get into one day I want to write a book about it get you to write a book about that but that's quite a story but anyway that's where they end up and they get there and and you remember what she said flip back to Joshua it's like the sixth book in the Bible from Genesis go over to Joshua you remember what she said in chapter 2 Joshua chapter 2, pick up in verse number 9. And she said to the man, listen to what she says. It's amazing. I know that the Lord has given you the land. That the terror of you has fallen on us. We're about the people of Jericho. And that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we. Have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. In other words, the word of the Exodus had spread all the way into Canaan. And they had seen these people wandering around for 40 years south of them, and they wondered when they were going to finally come up there and grab that land. And what you did for the kings of the what you did to the kings of the Amorites, how you defeated them and were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Why did their hearts melt? Because they knew who was next. That they were next. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone in Jericho or in Canaan because of you. Now watch this. Listen to what she says. For the Jehovah your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Your God is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. You catch that? In other words, I have faith in your God, Jehovah. I put my faith in your God, Jehovah. Here's the difference between Rahab and the rest of the people in Jericho. They all knew about Jehovah. Look, it says, our hearts melted. That means everybody in Canaan's heart melted. I mean, their hearts were melting out of fear. But this woman was different because she didn't just believe the facts. She took those facts and put her faith in those facts. She knew that this had to be true because here are two million people wandering around the desert. They didn't, how did they get there? They had to cross the Red Sea. And so she believed in Jehovah God. And she became a believer and, and uh, had real faith. Now, how do we know she had real faith? As James tells us, how do we know she had real faith? Because she saved the spies. She saved the Jewish spies. And not only that, remember when, when they come to destroy Jericho, she has this scarlet thread. I wonder why it's a scarlet thread. I'm not going to get into that today. Hanging out her window. Later, she became such a Jew that she married this man named Salmon. I have no doubt, again, if you want to write this book, no doubt Salmon was one of the two spies. The first time he saw her, he fell in love with her. He fell in love with her, and later on they had a child, and they had a child, and you know what his name was? His name was Boaz. And Boaz met this other Gentile named Ruth, and they had a child, and that child's name was Obed. And Obed had a child, and his name was Jesse. And Jesse had a child, and his name was David, the king. And if you go over to Matthew chapter 1, and you look down in verse number 5, you know who you see right there, glaring on that page? Not Rahab, the living harlot. Rahab, the living child of God you think maybe she had real faith you better believe she had real faith and then James sums it all up going back to James with one verse and we're done for as the body without the spirit is dead so is faith so faith without works is dead also. Guess that? For the body without the spirit is dead. So faith without works is dead. Also, that's his conclusion. It's not a regulatory law that James is advocating here that you help others and be benevolent to others. What he's saying here, this is a law of nature. This is part of your spirit. If you've got the engine of Jesus Christ living in you, He is love. And so you're love too. And if you don't have love in you, then then you're nothing more than a living thief. I've got an orange tree in my backyard, and right now it's full of oranges. I don't go out there and ask that orange tree, Are you an orange tree? If I start doing that, Brenda's going to put me away. I don't have to ask that tree. I've got some other trees that are out there. I wonder what they are. They're not doing anything but making leaves. But I don't have to ask that orange tree, are you an orange tree? I know that orange tree is an orange tree because it's full of oranges. I don't have to dig it up and look at the roots and say, do you have the roots of an orange tree? You don't have to dig it up. You know it's an orange tree. Because it's bearing oranges. What kind of soul do you have? Mean are you a living thief? Or are you a living child of God? There's only one way to tell. And that's by your fruit. By your fruit. If you're not producing any fruit of love then I'm not condemning you but I'm warning you you need to get right with the Lord you need to get receive Jesus Christ in your heart you need to receive that engine that powerful engine the Holy Spirit and then by nature you can't help but love others you know we have still got the flesh and I know there's some bitterness there in all of us and some nastiness. I, I don't have any of that, but some, some people <laughs> do. But deep down inside, you know that you know that you know if you truly are a child of God, that you truly do love others, and you truly love the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you again for your word and just what a blessing it is to to have your Holy Spirit living in us, there's your spirit of love. And the fruit of your spirit, Lord, is love. Lord, if there's anyone here today who, who, who's not sure of their status, if all they're doing is assenting to a set of facts about Jesus, but they've never been truly born again, they know that, Lord. And I ask today that you just make today the day of their salvation, the day that they receive the greatest gift of all, your gift of love your gift of love that produces love in each and every one of your children. Lord, I just thank you for your goodness. I thank you for for who you are in Jesus Christ. I thank you for Bethlehem and your birth. I thank you for Golgotha and your cross. We have so much to be grateful for this Christmas and throughout the year, Lord. We just thank you in Christ's name. Amen.